it's on. <laughs> Never turn it off. I don't know why I do that. It's so uh, I'm just excited that you're here. Welcome. Uh, my name is John. If we've not met before, I'm the pastor around here, and I'm so excited that you joined us as we're wrapping up our series called My Blank Family. I don't know about you, but this has been fun for me because my family is all sorts of jacked up, and we're about to hang out for a week. So My Blank Family, I'm taking all these notes myself. I'm bringing them home. Uh, but I'm excited. Uh, last weekend, uh, some of you saw this probably online if you follow our family on Facebook, but uh, we moved into a house, which is really exciting. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, yes. I hope you say that in six months when I invite you over to help me paint. So, no, I'm excited. But this past weekend, we spent painting. But I don't know if you've moved into a house recently or you have in some span of your life. Maybe you're still in college and just waiting for the moment you get your own space. But I remember moving from our apartment to our house this last weekend, and something took place. As soon as we got internet, which was a couple of days after, something happened on our YouTube channel. Not our personal one, but as we opened up our YouTube page on our TV, uh, it began to be full of home renovation videos. Anyone ever done this? Like, I, I looked at our history of just what we had watched over the last week. It's literally like Architectural Digest, Fixer Upper, Flipper Flop, Flopping Flipping, like it just tons of different shows, shows I didn't even know really existed. But we all of a sudden started to binge those. I've never been on Pinterest so much. Honestly, like I, I don't even know how that got on my phone, but here we are. But when something happens when you move into a new house, you begin comparing your house to everyone else's house. You've done this, right? You go online, you're like, oh, that tile's way better than what we just spent thousands on. Or, man, I wish they had that flooring when I was around or renovating. Or, wow, that color's so much better than what I picked. And you start to compare your house to other houses. This is so bad that even yesterday I was doing yard work. Woohoo! Yay! Exciting. Uh, you can sense my enthusiasm just bleeding out. But I was there doing yard work and the whole time I'm like leaf blowing and raking and uh, my mom's inside painting. We're all working on the house. I'm looking at everyone else's yard. I was like, does this look better than theirs yet? Like I just kept going and I just kept leaf blowing until there's like no oak leaves in my yard at all. Like I tried to remove them completely and then woke up this morning and there they were. So that is the struggle. But I just kept comparing and even as I drove out uh, on the way to church this morning, I was looking at other people's yards. Like how does ours kind of stack up? Like if there's an invisible rating system, how would ours rate? But you just begin to compare. And we don't just do this with houses. We do this just in life in general. We do this with our bodies. We do this with uh, the cars we drive. I've talked before about how every time I pull up, those, pull up to a stoplight, I try to estimate, could I buy that car with the same amount of money I paid for the one I'm in? <laughs> like, I just compare, and we all compare. We compare clothes, we compare social media profiles, and we compare each other all the time. Some of it's just totally, uh, unconsciously, we're doing this. We're just, we're living out this comparison game. But comparison, even if it's just in some of the funny ways, comparison has a way of, over time, ruining our soul. There's actually something incredibly broken about comparing ourselves to other people and living out jealousy. See, comparing and when we're competing against one another ultimately reveals the fact that all of us as humans, maybe it's magnified in your life today, maybe it's really tiny, all of us carry a little bit of jealousy. We carry a little bit of like, man, it'd be nice to have that. Man, it'd be nice to look like that. Man, it would be nice if my bank account had this much versus what it has right now. And we just compare, we compete, we reveal our own jealousy in that. And today we're talking about my jealous 
family. We're journeying through. We talked about Abraham and Sarah, week one, my divided family. What it looks like when we take shortcuts to God's blessing is ultimately we become divided from other people. And our families become divided as well. There's conflict that becomes unresolved. Last week, we talked about Isaac and Rebecca. We journeyed through their story a little bit and talked about my manipulative family. I know that sermon was probably just for me, but if anyone, as I walked out of here, uh, there were things that even for me that God is still speaking to me about. And then this week, there's yet another love triangle. George Michael. It's like that was planned. I don't know. Okay, we can cut that. We can cut that. Sorry. That was just a moment for me, I guess. But we're journeying through yet another love triangle today. In Genesis 29 and 30, you read this love triangle of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. If you got a Bible or device, get there, Genesis 29, because we're some of the verses will be on the screen, some won't, but we're going to journey through the story together in this weird love triangle. See, Jacob has moved on past the Jacob and Esau days, and he's kind of stepped out into adulthood. He's stepped out into his own life. And he's at this well, which is common. He's at a, at a well gathering water. There's some camels there. And he spots a young lady named Rachel. Rachel catches his eye and he's like, I would like to marry that. I would like to pursue that. I'd like to, I'd like to get to know her. And so he kind of approaches the father, whose name's Laban at the time. And Laban says, hey, no worries. As long as you work for me seven years of manual labor, I'll let you marry Rachel. And Jacob is so awestruck in love, head over heels. He's like, deal. So he goes and works for him. The seven years passes, and as we, this story cannot be weirder because the night that they're supposed to spend their first night together, their honeymoon, they get married, uh, Laban switches out the daughters. And instead of Rachel showing up to their honeymoon, it's this younger daughter named Leah who's not as attractive, and for whatever reason, call it drunkenness, call it really bad eyesight or just bad bad uh, sin problems in Jacob's life. He ends up sleeping with her and they become pregnant. It's this really weird story. And Laban ends up manipulating the manipulator. Jacob, this, this, the deceiver, the manipulator, ends up getting tricked by his future father-in-law. And that's where we pick up this part of the story. That has all taken place. And right here is where we read. We're going to start in Genesis 29, verse 32. Leah, the younger daughter, became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. Just picture this. Leah gets swapped out for the girl that Jacob actually loves, has a kid, and yet is completely detached relationally from Jacob. She wants love, not just to have kids. She is, becomes jealous of Rachel's relationship with her husband, which makes sense. Verse 33, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband Jacob will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I'll praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. What that little sliver doesn't mention is the fact that Rachel couldn't have kids. Rachel and Jacob, even though they had tried to conceive, she was wrestling with infertility. Some of you know that feeling, that story. And there's pain and jealousy in Rachel's story. 
And on the flip side, Leah is able to have kids. She has like four sons in like the span of a couple verses and yet doesn't have any love or relationship with Jacob. So she's jealous of Rachel's relationship with Jacob. Leah's fertile, but she's jealous. And what I think is fascinating about what we just read before we even continue on in chapter 30 is that in these names are all the things that Leah deeply desired. These names represent uh, being seen, being heard, belonging, being known. All of these names represent the deepest desires of Leah's heart. And you know what that's like. You know what it's like to have deep desires that go unmet. Maybe for years, maybe for decades, maybe the marriage or the relationship you have now is not living up to what you really expected it to be. Maybe your kids, no, we won't go there, but just maybe there's moments where your family as a whole, you're like, man, I, when I set out to have a family and I settled down, I put down roots, here's what I thought life would be like. But it's not that. And it's easy to become jealous of what other people have. Leah names her sons those deep desires that aren't being met. Leah has sons, but Rachel has love. They were jealous. It was this mix. Let's keep reading chapter 30, starting again in verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God? Who's kept you from having children? In this setting, Jacob is an idiot, okay? That is not what you say to someone wrestling with not able to have kids. He he's kind of retorts back to her, verse three. Then she said, here's Bilhah, my servant. Just go ahead, sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family. What Leah has with you, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna take a shortcut. Just take my servant girl and give me the child. This is a messed up story. Leah is jealous of Rachel's love and relationship and at the same time, Rachel is jealous of Leah's ability to have kids and, and to give Jacob a family he gives, she even goes so far as to give up her servant girl, servant girl. Remember Abraham's story? Does this sound familiar? Sarah, Hagar, Sarah couldn't have kids. So Jacob's, uh, Abraham's like, well, God said he's like going to bless me with son. So I guess you got to take these servant girls and I guess you got to, got to go that way. And it's obviously a broken system. It's a broken shortcut that they're taking. And yet none of them have learned from past generational mistakes. Maybe you've got some stuff going on in your kids right now. You're like, I thought they would learn from my mistakes and yet they're doing the exact same things. This is what's happening in the story. They didn't learn from Isaac and Rebecca. They don't learn from Abraham and Sarai. They end up doing the exact same broken things. And all of it really points when, it when you talk about Leah, when you talk about even Jacob and Rachel's relationship. Here's what jealousy really is. Jealousy may be painted as a bad thing, but jealousy can be a good thing because jealousy reveals the deepest desires of our heart. What you're jealous of, if you took time and really sorted through and maybe took some time in prayer or sat with a counselor long enough, you figure out, here's what I really want. It's not a new car. It's not just a different spouse or different set of kids. It's not just a new place to live. It's not just a new job not just a better retirement pack. It's none of those things. It's the deep desires. Am I seen? Am I known? Does anyone love me? Am I beautiful? 
Do I have value? Does anyone even see me? Those deep desires are what God is interested in meeting. And sure, jealousy reveals those deep desires, but Jesus, friends, is the only one who can satisfy them. Only one. You can look your entire life. You can get pretty enough. You can go to the gym enough. You can get the house. You can move. You can exchange your spouse even. And you can get to the end of all of that. And here's what happens. You're still jealous. You're still discontent. You are still a broken person. You bring all of that with you. And until you allow Jesus to satisfy those desires, you will always be jealous of somebody else. Always. This is just as true for me as it is for you. I love this kind of old English proverb I stumbled across as I was working on this message. It says, jealousy shoots at others and wounds itself. I want what you have. I'm going to shoot at you and end up shooting myself. It, it, it is a self-inflicted wound to be a jealous person over and over, to compare, to compete. It doesn't matter if it's on social media, if it's with yard work, if it's with a job. And only Jesus can satisfy the deepest, the parts of you that yearn the longest, the hardest, that crave acceptance and belonging. This is just as true again for me as it is for you. And I, I don't know, I've stumbled across this thing. So rewind our life to two and a half years ago. We moved to Byron Center. I was so excited. This apartment was great. We were going to look for a house in the middle of it. it. took a little bit longer, but something happened a couple weeks ago just around the corner from our house that made me a little bit more content with living where I lived. A brand new Planet Fitness opened. I was pretty excited. Now, I'm not a pizza and bagel guy before you'd assume that's free food for me, but what it was was a chance to go to the gym really close. I was excited about that. I was like, I could basically walk to this gym if I wanted to. It's like a mile from where we were living at the time. But something happens to me at the gym every single time. I go in with the best of intentions, but here's what I do. I get on the treadmill, because that's what I like to do, ironically. I stand on the treadmill, I hit start, I start walking, and I start running, and my eyes start to just go like this. I'm people watching like you've never people watched before. There's some people who I don't want to emulate at the gym. Anyone ever seen anybody like that? You're like, oh, you are not doing that right. You are backwards on what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to lift the bar this way, not this way. Like, it's, there's weird things, okay, that happen at the gym. But there's something that happens as well. I begin to become jealous. It takes me like five minutes. And I'm like, man, that guy, it's, how is he that tan in November? Like, what, you, what is he doing? That's incredible. How does he have that much hair? The deal? Like, what is going on? Like, Fabio, how are you here at the Byron Center Planet Fitness? Like, what is going on? And, and I start to look and I start to evaluate. And I'm like, well, my legs compared to that guy or my arms compared to that guy or at least I don't weigh as little as that person or as much as that guy. Like, you just begin to compare and compete the entire time. And we don't have to pretend that if you're like, well, yeah, I, that's why I don't go to the gym. I work out of my house. But you do this in the grocery store too. We all look and evaluate other people all the time. We compare, we become jealous. And here's, if I'm just kind of peeling back the layers of that as I think through it. See, uh, we have a scale in our house. Have you ever had one of these terrible torture devices in your house before? <laughs> you get on them and then you get off and then you feel like, man, I'm created in God's image said no one ever, right? You get off of it and you're like, oh my goodness, I've got some work to do. Or uh, I don't really want to leave the house today. Or uh, let's be real honest, some of you decide what you eat based on that. 
You make decisions about the rest of your day. And friends, I've been there. I've been there. I've never once so got off the scale and said, man, I am made in God's image. I'm not jealous of anybody else's body or anybody else's fitness or anybody else's arms or whatever. And you go through, and this is not just physical, friends. We do this in every area. And if we were honest long enough, every single one of us wrestles with this, this monster of jealousy in us. And jealousy, you can use it for good. You can let it just reveal the deepest desires and let Jesus meet those desires and satisfy, or you can just let jealousy run rampant and do nothing with it and become more discontent, become more angry at the world, hate your body more, hate your friends more, hate your job even more. And unless you let him satisfy the deepest desires, you will always be jealous. It's just the brokenness and flawed system in which we live. Here's what is so profound about Genesis 29 and 30. It's what God doesn't say. See, what God doesn't do is validate their behavior. He doesn't say, oh, Leah, it's okay to be jealous. You deserve this. Or, oh, Rachel, it's okay. You deserve this. Or, oh, Jacob, you deserve to have multiple wives and just screw up this family line forever. That's what you deserve. You've had a hard life. God actually doesn't say anything at all. But what God does is remind them that he's present. If you read through the rest of chapter 30, you see that, that God may not speak, but he's listed as doing three things in this story. God listens, God remembers, and God answers prayer. He listens, he remembers, and he answers prayer. He may not speak and validate their jealousy, but what he does is meet their deepest desires. See, God's response to this family's failure and these people's jealousy is simple. It's, I am with you. I'm here. I can satisfy those deep desires of your heart. See, what Leah needed here, and her, her sons literally describe this. She names her family. They are walking testimonies to the fact that her deep desires were unmet. And yet God says in this story over her and maybe over you, I see you. I hear you. You're not a waste. You are valuable. You are beautiful. You have something to offer. You belong. And your family may be all sorts of messed up. There may be abuse. There may be brokenness. There may be sin. There may be some stuff in your life that you're reaping the benefit that you caused. No matter what, God's response throughout this story is I am present. The story doesn't automatically become better at the end. Jacob is listed, if you go to Matthew 1, he's listed as being one of the fathers of the Israelite faith. He gives way to King Jesus. But at the same time, there was incredible brokenness. There was incredible jealousy that was lived out. And the only common thread is you look through Abraham's story, and then you look through Isaac's story, and then you look through Jacob's story, is that they repeatedly failed over and over again. And yet God was repeatedly faithful over and over again. Uh, Abraham and Sarai messed up, shortcut to the blessing, God uses them. Isaac and Rebekah messed with their family, deceived, manipulated one another, and yet God uses them. Jacob, Leah, Rachel, all sorts of messed up love triangle stuff that we can't even get into right now. And all the while, God is faithful. He's there, he's present, he listens, remembers, answers prayer, and says, I still am with you, even when you fail. And Israelites wandered 
for hundreds of years away from God's blessing, away from his promise, and yet what did he do? He led them. He was with them. He stayed present. He sent Jesus as a reminder that he is with us. In the midst of brokenness, in the midst of jealousy, he speaks over us, I see you, I hear you, I love you, you belong to me. You matter to me. When your family and your marriage and your kids may fail you, I am still there. See, it's one of my favorite parts about Christmas. That sounds super spiritual, but my, Christmas is not for me as much about Santa Claus. Like my family traveled every single Christmas. Like we have about 0.1 ounces of nostalgia in my family. Like it is just not that special when it comes to family and holidays and serving in ministry has made it kind of challenging, honestly. But as you go through that, I'm always reminded after, even as we lead up to this Christmas, that Christmas is really just a reminder that God is with me. Emmanuel, God with us. John 1.14, I love how the message version speaks this over us. It says, God took on flesh, put on skin and bones, and moved into our neighborhood. He was present. He's not distracted by your brokenness. He's not put off by your family's failure. He stays in it. And Jesus satisfies those deep desires that your family will never meet. Your job will never meet. Your future boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse will never meet. And you have to settle it right now. And you may think, yeah, yeah, but once I like, once I do get that job, then I'll kind of relax. I'll take the gas off. I won't be jealous anymore. Once I get that spouse or once I finally figure out my calling or once I finally get my dream job, I won't worry about those things anymore. I won't be jealous of other people. Once I get to that certain weight, once I figure out my diet, once I kind of tinker enough with my workout routine, by then, then I won't be jealous of other people's bodies or other people's fitness or anything. And it's just, it's a total lie, total lie. Jealousy reveals those deep desires, and yet God is the only one who can satisfy them. Only one. And the benefit you have of sitting where you sit right now is that today can be different. Is that tomorrow can be different. You and I actually have the free will, the agency to decide, am I going to lean into my jealousy and let that drive me, let that frustrate, let, frustrate me, let that keep me up at night, or am I going to surrender those things to God and say, I know that you can satisfy them. God, I just want you. I just, that's all I want. You can satisfy them. You see me, you hear me. You've got everything I want, everything I need. And you've made a way through the cross for me to experience that relationship with you, not secondhand, not through my parents and not through my kids, but through you. Real one-on-one -on -one relationship with you. And so today, what are you jealous of? What do you really want? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? What's the thing that, that causes you to hang out in certain places? What's the thing that keeps you on those apps? What's the thing that makes you do things that are completely irrational? What's the thing that makes you jealous? And here's, here's the beautiful part about Jacob's story. And we kind of alluded to this last week that he has this moment where he wrestles with God, God changes his name, and he begins to walk out and learn the opposite way. He begins to learn a different pattern of life. He begins to learn a different way of being. And it's not a jealous person. It's a person whose identity is secure. Just picture for a moment a secure you. What would a safe you look like? What would a you look like that has nothing to prove to anybody else? What would a you look like that knows that you have intrinsic worth in the creator of the universe and you have nothing to hide from somebody else? 
What would it look like to be totally accepted, to belong? Not to put on a show, to be who you really are, and yet at the same time be fully loved. Picture that. That's on the other side of jealousy. That's on the other side of allowing Jesus to meet the deepest desires of your heart. And so maybe today, if, if for you, the struggle is money related. Maybe it's, it's a pursuit, maybe it's greed, maybe it's trying to get to a certain status or a certain 401k size, what, I don't know what it is. But here's what I know, with God's grace, if you learn to do the opposite, there's some things that you can practically do to do that, to actually live it out. Maybe for you, it's paying for someone else in line. Maybe you've never done that. Say, God, I want you to free me from the grip money has, so I'm gonna start giving it away. That's the only thing, you open your hands. God, I get Starbucks every week. So I'm gonna, instead of buying my Starbucks, I'm gonna buy the two peoples behind me. Well, what is the simple thing? Maybe for you, it, it has to do with body. And maybe today you just say, you know what? I don't really need that scale anymore. That scale for me is actually, it becomes a sinful thing. I'm gonna either throw it away or hide it for a season or I'm gonna skip the gym tomorrow because what am I gonna lose by doing that one day? But what you may gain could be eternal. I'm gonna leave that jealousy behind. I'm gonna leave that Maybe for you, it's just other people's families. And this gets weird, all right? I, I understand, it gets weird. Other people's marriages, I understand that, that gets weird. But maybe you need to separate for a little bit. Maybe you need to get some space to say, God, I wanna invest in my family. I wanna invest in my marriage. God, I want you to, to meet my deepest desires through what I already have. Because if we fail to learn this, friends, if we fail, We'll continue to live a self-centered life till the day we die. It will always be about us because jealousy will drive us and force us and lead us instead of letting Jesus lead us. And if we succeed at this, if we decide, God, I want you to meet those deep desires. I'm gonna surrender them to you. I'm gonna take a couple practical steps, but I'm gonna let this be you. I'm gonna let you run my life. I'm gonna let you be the king of my, of my heart and my desires. What will happen is you'll begin to live out a Jesus-centered life your family will begin to look more and more like Jesus. He will drive decisions. He will make, uh, make impact in places that you just can't touch right now. He will change your marriage. He will shift the way your kids think and the way they behave if you just allow him to guide those things, to live a Jesus-centered family, to live a Jesus-centered life. Friends, we don't have to repeat this, the mistakes of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. We can live a new story. Let Jesus meet those deep desires of your heart. Just give them to him. And so we're gonna do something that is not every week thing for us, and it's certainly not uh, maybe part of my weekly practice when it comes to faith, but we're actually gonna take some moments to be completely silent and still before God. Because here's what I know. If you and I decide to walk out and do nothing and learn nothing from the past, from nothing, from families in this book who are way more messed up than you, trust me, if we decide to walk out, then we will totally miss the point. We'll totally miss what God wants us to do. And so I want you to wrestle with that question. We're gonna take 30 seconds, we'll be completely quiet in here, and then I wanna pray. But over those next 30 seconds, just say, here's what I'm jealous of, God, and I surrender to you. Here's what's trying to meet the deep desires of my heart, but I know that only you can fill them. I'm just gonna give that back to you. I'm gonna recognize that you are God and that you do see me, you do hear me, you do care about me, you do uh, have interest in me, you even like me. You wanna be around me. You want relationship with me. And so 
God, I just pray in this time, I, I just thank you for how you're speaking. I pray that in these next 30 seconds where we're just quiet before you, we're, we are still and we are aware that you are God. I pray you speak to us, Holy Spirit. Father, it's in this surrendered place that we ask for you to meet those deep desires of our heart. It's in the moments where we, we cut out the noise. It's in the moments where we get to sit and, and just breathe to be a part of what you're saying to us, to listen to.